Thank you, sir. That was great. Thank you, people and everyone for participating uh, today. As a church, we believe that God is present on the earth today and that he wants to show up in your place of business. Um, And I'm going to be honest with you now. I think a lot of the reasons that the gifts of the Spirit don't flow in our lives is because as a culture, we're too critical. I know. I'm sorry. Um, But our first reaction to like our our politicians, stuff at work, our bosses, our coworkers, stuff going on in our lives is critical. Boom. And the Bible's pretty clear. Do not complain about anything. But in everything, make your, give thanks, make your request known to God. I mean, we've got to understand um, God's already done everything that's necessary. So if it's not flowing in my life, I better make sure that I'm not the one stopping it. And he's, been, he's pretty clear, um, and we've talked about this. We're in a series, and we're kind of already just jumping right into it. Keep calm and keep practicing. Um, because we looked at the life of Joseph, and Joseph's brothers hated him and sold him into slavery. He was falsely accused of something he didn't do and got thrown into prison. And yet nothing could stop what God wanted to do in his life. No circumstance, no person, no nothing. And yet we at times get so hung up on what's going on around us and the people that are stopping God's flow in our life. Nobody's stopping God's flow in your life. Nobody can stop. No power of hell, no demon, no nothing. When it says it's doesn't, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, that means the, not, just a, not just God's love. It means everything Jesus did because of God's love can flow through your life. You're... Well, that, that guy that, you know, sold me out to my boss, that's why I didn't get that promotion. No, that, that's not true. I mean, do you, you understand what I'm saying? And so we want the power of God, the presence of God to be at work in our lives. And we, we do not want to blame our circumstances or people in our lives for, for that not happening. We want to trust that God is always at work. In fact, we want what we say we believe to match what we believe, especially as a Pentecostal church. You know, we claim the gifts of the Spirit are still for today. Eagerly desire them. You know, we're waiting for for heaven to open, but heaven's already opened. We just got to step into that. And it's interesting because as we were singing that first song, God is Able. And I don't know if a song for you takes you back to a place. It took me back to a time and a place uh, where God was faithful in, in a hard situation that I was going through and uh, actually I was in um, Myanmar and uh, during that time and that song was one of the songs that I I heard and uh, was standing on the beach and I just thought yeah there's nothing that God is not able to do and as we were singing that um, nothing is impossible for God or all things are possible with God and I was thinking of this verse that we were just talking about Um, over the last couple weeks, I can do all things through Christ. And I don't want you to misunderstand something. Um, All things are possible in God. It totally says that in the word. But when we've been talking about this verse, I can do all things through Christ, we, we have misapplied this verse to our lives in the sense that we take this verse that we think Paul wrote, that I can do all things through Christ, and we apply it to our lives and we just do whatever we want and think God's just going to, I can do it. I can do it because I can do all things through Christ, but not if God isn't leading you in that direction. I mean, not if that, that choice that you've just made is contrary to his word. 
You can't do that. You can't do all things through Christ. And and as we've talked over the last couple weeks, that's not what he says. It's not this blank check to live however we want to live. And then I can do everything through Christ, some translation says. And some of us live our lives that way. We try to pack our lives so full of stuff and we're just always on the go. And then we spiritualize it. We're like, you know, I'm just doing it for the kingdom and I'm going 100 miles an hour for the kingdom, for the kingdom, for the kingdom. You can't do everything. I mean, the reason that God gave us Sabbath is because as people, we would be tempted to think, I could do more if I worked seven days a week. And we're, we don't need to depend on God. And some of it might apply this way. You know, I've memorized this Bible verse, and so I'm faced with this situation, and I just automatically assume I should do this because I've memorized that Bible verse, and I should automatically do that, and I know I should do it, and I'm going to just do it. And we, we kind of live in our own strength and we call it God and we're just making choices that we want to make and asking God to bless it. Does that make sense? You can't do everything through Christ. We, we looked at what it really says, I can do all this through Christ. And what all of this is goes back up a few verses or just one verse. I've learned the secret of living in any and every situation. So Paul is saying, I have learned the secret through experience, through practice, and through constant use. I have learned that I can be fully sufficient in every moment because of Christ. In other words, in every moment of my life, I can respond correctly and consistently because of Christ. So when a coworker does something to me that is rude, I can respond differently because of Christ. Christ. When somebody attacks me, I don't have to attack back. I can respond differently because of Christ. When everybody in our culture is confused and scared and afraid, I don't have to go on Facebook and repost all of these crazy articles about the sky falling because I can trust that there's a God that's in control. Now, here's the thing. We, we talked last week about how grace and mercy hunt us down, uh, but you actually have to turn around to receive them. You, if you make a choice in your life and you, it's clearly contrary to God's word and you start down a direction and then you're like, your life is out of control, there's no peace, there's no whatever, you need to repent. And repent means, God, I made this choice against your word and I should not have made that choice and I repent and I'm, a, I'm turning back to you now. And when we turn back to him, okay, we receive mercy and grace. He's not standing there going, I told you if you would. I mean, the moment we, we acknowledge his lordship, and our mistake, he comes in like a flood and he gives us everything that we need. And we talked about how Paul learned this secret in 2 Corinthians 1 through 6 and we talked about that the first week and that you know, through the difficulties that he went through, he was able to, to learn how to respond in every situation. You can't learn how to respond in a situation, a crisis, except in a crisis. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, firefighters and police officers and paramedics, they they practice crises, (laughs) but ultimately there's nothing like the real thing. And so the way you learn how to respond in a crisis is through a crisis. And so some of us think the moment I accept Jesus, everything's just going to go perfect. And when something goes perfect, it's the devil. Sometimes it's not the devil. Sometimes it's to root out something in our character and God allowed it into our lives to show us, hey, you're not where you thought you were, but if you ask me for grace, I'll give it to you. And then we blame, well, but the only reason I responded like that is my spouse. The only reason I responded like that is my kids, my boss, my this, my pastor, my, my president, my everything, not my president. Ah! 
And we don't realize that all of that stuff that's in us, and we just think, well, if we just had a different job or a different spouse or a different location or a different this, different, 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 and the problem isn't out here, the problem's in here. And Paul calls it a secret because not many people are willing to learn this. It's not really a secret, it's just we would prefer to live in the illusion that if everything around me changed, I would live differently. No, we wouldn't. We would still live from what's in here. We just recognize it easier in those crisis moments. And Paul tells us here in Philippians 4 that whatever you've learned or received or heard or seen in me, just keep putting it into practice. So when we are in these moments, we have to keep calm. It doesn't mean you're going to feel calm. You have to keep calm and keep practicing. Practice what you have learned, received, heard, seen in me. Keep putting it into practice. And then the God of peace will be with you. Okay, not the peace of God, the God of peace. In other words, you get a person, you get God himself to walk along with you if you allow his peace. I mean, you can walk through a difficulty and be at peace because the God of peace is with you, or you can walk through a difficulty and be anxious because you're surrendering to the anxious thoughts. It's really a choice in that moment. And last week, we looked at Psalm 23 and especially what it means to live from a restored soul. Every single one of us, I believe God's call, God's goal for us is to live from a restored soul. That's his goal for your life. And the beginning of Psalm 23 tells us how to get to a place of a restored soul. And the end of Psalm 23 shows us how we live because of a restored soul. Now, please do not misunderstand that. That does not mean that when, when we have a restored soul that we're always going to respond perfectly. And so if, you, if you're out there in the world and you see someone and you're like, oh, they responded negatively to that person, they don't have a restored soul. That's no, 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 no. It doesn't mean that you're always going to respond correctly. It means that you're going to be able to receive mercy and grace. You're going to be able to acknowledge that you did that wrong. But a, a restored soul has settled two things. Here's what, here's what a restored soul has settled. One, it's, it's settled who God is. It's settled that God is good. It's settled that God is faithful. It's settled that God is sovereign, meaning he's in control of my life. So whatever's happening right now, God totally knew this was going to happen. He's totally got a plan for this to happen. And I just need to, I need to engage my mind and my heart with him more than the fear I'm experiencing, more than the circumstances I'm experiencing, more than all of this. I need to connect to him. I need to settle who God is. And the second thing I need to settle is who I am in him. If you let the opinions of others come into your life and you even let your own thoughts about who you are settle into your heart, you're going to forever struggle with anxiety, fear, worry, all of that stuff. Anger, bitterness, resentment. You've got to settle who you are in him. You're totally perfected in him. I mean, yeah, we need to respond correctly out of who we are, but responding incorrectly doesn't change who I am. And it doesn't change who other people are. Because we have a tendency to look down on people who don't respond correctly and we start labeling them and we get ourselves into trouble. And so today we're going to go back up to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. And we're going to look, so we've um, I'd encourage you to go back and look at those other messages, 2 Corinthians, Psalm 23. I think they all come together, but 
we're going to look at what Paul says here in Philippians 4, 4 through 8, because these are the things I believe he's saying. Keep putting these things into practice. Here's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so right here at the beginning, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, and he repeats it. I say it again, rejoice. It's repeated for emphasis because our natural inclination is not to rejoice, and it's certainly not to rejoice in the Lord. And so the reason that he's emphasizing it, even for church folk, because remember, he's writing to believers here in Philippi, our natural inclination is not to rejoice. In fact, the words do not complain about anything is also found in this letter to the Philippians. So maybe the Philippians church really needs to hear this. Don't, re- don't, don't let your circumstance decide whether or not you're going to rejoice. Joy does not mean happiness. It just means a settledness, a contentment, a peace. So when I rejoice, I don't rejoice in my circumstances. What do I rejoice in? Rejoice in the Lord. Remember last week we talked about the Lord is my shepherd so I shall not want or I shall not need anything. I have everything I need because the Lord is my shepherd. We have to choose to make him Lord to come into this place. And so again, if we're going to rejoice, if we're going to live lives of rejoicing, we need to be in the Lord. I know that that sounds like a no-brainer, and many of us are tempted to just, you know, move. Okay, move on to the next point. I'm in the Lord. Hey, I'm here on Sunday morning. I must be in the Lord. But not everyone who calls him Lord is in the Lord. If you go to Matthew chapter 7, many are going to say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? And what does he say at the end of Matthew 7, 21 and 22? Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. Lawlessness means you were law unto yourself. You were your own Lord. So going to church doesn't mean he's your Lord. What what shows that he's our Lord is if we take his word and we put it into practice in our lives. So when I'm faced with the decision, I don't go by what my culture says. I don't go what my emotions or my feelings says. I don't even go what my religious upbringing said. I go by what his word says in every area of my lives. And if not, I am not in the Lord. I don't care if I claim to be in the Lord. I am not in the Lord. And the reason I think so many Christians today have a a difficult time rejoicing in the Lord is because we're not in the Lord. I don't mean you're not saved or you're not going to heaven. I, I don't know who's going to heaven. I don't know who's saved. I know if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. If you make him Lord, you will be saved. But you can't come to him and, and claim that he's your Lord and not do what he says. It doesn't mean you're going to do it perfectly, but you're going to stop making excuses. You're going to stop blaming your culture. You're going to stop bringing, blaming your upbringing. You're going to stop blaming your circumstances. You're going to stop blaming people around you. And you're going to say, you are Lord of my life. And so I'm going to do what you say because you're Lord. 
I trust you. I trust that you're good. I trust that you're at work. I don't have to worry about what that person's doing or that person's saying because you are my Lord and I trust you. Does that that make sense? As I said earlier, I think God's goal for all of us is a restored soul. I believe our goal should be to be in the Lord. Jesus said it in John 15 this way, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you want and I'll do it. Again, that's not a blank check. Oh, I'm just going to ask for whatever I want because I'm in the Lord. I prayed a prayer and I am in the Lord. No, 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 no. If you abide in my words and my words abide in you, why is that important? Because it shapes what we ask for. I mean, when we take Psalm 34 and we just say, well, trust in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Oh, praise God, he'll give you everything you want. No, he won't. He'll put desires in your heart that are better than what you want and then he'll supply those. It's not about me being Lord of my own life. It's about him being Lord. Apart from him, Jesus says, John 15, we can do nothing. So if we don't learn to be in him and we don't learn to be uh, abiding in him, we can't do anything even though we're really busy and have a lot of activity. And I wonder if a lot of Christians and a lot of churches have a lot of activity, but we're not in the Lord because he's not Lord of our choices. He's not Lord of our relationships. He's not Lord of our decisions. Many church-going people, their goal is not to be in the Lord. Their goal is to make money. Their goal is to advance their career. Their goal is to have a good family, have a good spouse, have happiness, have a good job, have a good car, have a good house, have this, that, this. And the reason that we can't rejoice in hard times is because our goal isn't to be in the Lord. Pastor John just preached this to us a few weeks ago from the life of Job. Is the Lord enough for us? And I can stand here today and I can raise my hand and say, Lord, you are enough for me. But how do I know? I know when I lose my spouse. I know when I lose my my son or my daughter. I know when I lose my job. I know when someone speaks against me. I know in those moments, I know whether or not he's enough for me. Not in this moment when, you know, the music's playing and it's all, ooh, yeah, of course he's enough for me right now. But where he's enough for us is in those hard moments. And so we can respond because we're in the Lord. James says it this way, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. By the way, that means they're coming, okay? Because you need them. You cannot have, you cannot grow in our faith without trials. We just can't. Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Remember our medical student that came in with our doctor just a little bit ago? Okay, it it would be foolish for him to stand before the medical board who's about to test their ability before they give them a license and say, why are you persecuting me? They're not persecuting you. They're making sure that you're ready. They're testing you. And every trial in our lives, we want to blame the devil, we want to blame people, we want to blame this. And the Lord's like, no, I want you to stand before me one day as perfect. And the only way you can be perfect and complete, not lacking in anything, is if you not only face trials, but as Hebrews 12, we talked about this last week, we are trained by them. We have to endure these trials and we have to go through them and allow them to train us. And if we go through it complaining and criticizing and grumpy and angry and bitter 
And here's the thing. You will always find people, good Christian people around you to say, oh, I can't believe they did that to you. I can't believe those people. You, you need to stand up for yourself. I mean, you're going to find somebody out there that's going to just pat you on the back and be like, no, you, you hold on to that. You, you are justified in holding on to that. Please find me one passage in here where it says we are justified in holding anything against anybody for any reason. And then we're like, oh God, let your glory be displayed on the earth. He's like, I'm trying. It's going to come through us. It's going to come through us as we walk through these hard times. His glory is going to be revealed because we're not going to respond the way other people respond in the Lord. All right, we're taking too much time on that one. Whew, verse 5. Maybe we needed to. I don't know. Oh, wait, I got to go back because I got to show you this one more thing. Discipline, these hardships, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Some of us want to harvest peace in our lives, but we won't sow peace. What you're thinking and, and meditating on, and it, he's going to get to this later too, but you, you, don't, you don't harvest a crop that you're not sowing. Okay, so if you want to be trained by it and you want to harvest peace, you, you got you to gotta let it have its work in you. Um, and by the way, this doesn't let anyone off the hook. God's going to judge everybody for everything they ever did all the time. I mean, and, and ultimately, we want God not to judge people that have wronged us. I mean, those prayers are in the scripture too. We want them to repent and come to life and salvation. And so if you're hoping God gets somebody, um, you need to read this book again because that's not how it works. In fact, Father, forgive them for they don't understand what they're doing um, is what we pray. So verse five, let your gentleness... Be evident to all. The Lord is near. The scripture is super clear that God ties our relationship to him with our relationship with people. Love God, love people. It's all throughout the scripture. Greatest commandment is to love God. Not just love God with your mind, but love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Every part of you. And for those of us that are like, well, I'm going to love God with all my mind. Well, he, praise God, he wants you to do that, but he needs you to love him with every part of you. Every decision, every choice. He's either Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. Okay, so everything to him. But so many people claim to love God, but they're just mean to people. And, those, and we don't recognize that those don't go together. Because we think, well, those people were mean first. I, I, I get where you're from, from. I'm a people too, and I, I understand that temptation. But if we're going to claim to love God, the truth of it or the proof of it is how we treat other people. Whether those people are believers or unbelievers, whether those people are our friends or are our enemies, or whether those people deserve it or don't deserve it, we cannot sow seeds of discord and reap blessing and peace in our lives. And so, so for those of you maybe that are lacking peace and every day you come home from work and you talk about all of the people that did these terrible things at work that day and how critical and blah, 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 or what you heard on the radio about what this person's doing or that politician's doing and blah, 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 and you're sowing all these seeds of discord and then you're wondering, why don't I have peace? Not always, but just take a look. Make sure that you're planting the right seeds. Let your gentleness be evident to all, he says. My question is this. Do you think that Christians in America are known for our gentleness? Second Timothy chapter 2. Opponents 
by the way, he's meaning people that oppose the word, must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who is taking them captive to do his will. Do you ever ever use the statement, you make me so angry? Yeah, I have too. You know that's a lie (laughs) because no one can make us angry. Anger's our choice. I mean, the feeling of anger may come as a result of someone else's behavior, but the choice to get angry and act on it is all on me. And so we have to be careful that our gentleness, even when we're dealing with our opponents, I mean, do you know how hard it is to gently instruct some people? Come on, y'all with me. Some people, they're hard to gently instruct, and yet the Scripture tells us to do that. Look at Galatians 6.1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. There's that word again. And then Galatians chapter 6, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And whoever sows to please their flesh will from the flesh reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit will reap eternal life. So let us not become weary in doing good. Let us not be weary in gentleness because at the proper time we reap a harvest if we do not give up. So as we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And so, again, if we're going to sow, if we want to reap this, we got to sow this. Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Uh, I hope you don't read that statement and think, "Uh uh-oh, the Lord is near, he's watching us, and he's, you know, making a list and checking it twice, and he's going to find out who's gentle and who's not. Um, That's not what that means. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near is the reminder that God of peace is with you. So you can be gentle to that situation or that person. You can be gentle to your opponent because the Lord is, is near. He's empowering you, enabling you, breathing on you, working for your good. He is, he is all over you as long as you stay in the Lord. Okay? If you want to go off on your own, he'll let you go off on your own. And mercy and grace will still hunt you down, um, but they won't overtake you until you turn around and say, help. So, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. And we've talked through this series about anxiety. And uh, I've shared my story about struggling with anxiety. And the last thing you should tell an anxious person is to stop being anxious. (laughs) It's, It's really counterproductive. I totally understand that. And that's not what Paul is doing here. Okay, he's not saying, um, and he's not saying that all anxiety is spiritual in nature. Um, there, are, there are things that happen in our bodies. There are hormonal changes. There's um, choices that we're making. There's a culture around us. There's decisions that other people make. So this is multifaceted. So please don't, you know, hear shame and guilt for those of you that maybe struggle with anxiety. Um, there is a spiritual component to it, I do believe. But um, don't be afraid to ask for help and don't give in to this shame and guilt Uh, concept. But Paul is not saying here, you know, when you're anxious, pray. Not that that's a bad idea. I mean, when you're anxious, prayer is a a good thing to do because, you know, it's the lifeline. But he's not saying, you know, if you've gotten to this place of being anxious, 
You know, you should pray. How did I get to this place of being anxious? You know, maybe it's a result of my own critical nature. Maybe it's a result of bad choices I've made. Maybe it's nothing I did. Maybe it's something from outside. But he's not just saying, you know, in response to the feeling of anxiety, begin to pray. He's saying we need to live lives of prayer communication, connection with God. We need to be in the Lord. We need to be constantly making our requests known to God because ultimately God is the source of everything we need. My spouse is not the source of my happiness. God is. My job is not the source of my income. God is. And so I make my requests known to him because he's my source and it helps me keep perspective that he's my source. Make it sense? So we do that, and we also not just give him our requests, but we make thanksgiving to him. Do you know that thanksgiving um, is actually a weapon in the scripture? In some scriptures, be thankful is actually a weapon that we use because it, sh- it forces us to change our perspective. Every single one of us in this room, if we look at our life, we can find something to complain about or we can find something to be thankful about. It's just about perspective. In every moment of our lives, we can find it if we choose. And so when he says don't be anxious or don't live a life that's filled with anxiety, instead live a life where you're always connecting with God, where you're making requests to God, where you're thanking God. Because if you do that, look what he says in in verse 7, the peace of God, again, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, it'll guard your heart and keep you from allowing bitterness or hard things or, you know, just bitterness towards God even from taking root in your heart, and it'll guard your mind. You won't be bombarded by anxious thoughts. You'll be bombarded by good thoughts. So there's that. And so he tells us then in verse 8 what types of things we should think about. Do you remember we studied this last fall? Be Anxious for Nothing by Max Lucado. We went through that book and we actually studied this entire passage just one year ago. And uh, I wonder how many of us have remembered one year later all of that stuff we studied. But remember Max taught us about the air traffic controllers? You know, the guys in the tower at the airports that have the power over all the planes? Keep them from crashing into each other, deciding which one gets to land on which one right at what what time. We are the air traffic controllers of our thoughts. We are not in control of every thought that comes into our mind. You you just can't be. Some of them come out of nowhere and you're like, dude, where did that thought come from? Now, some of them come from the things that we've been pondering. If every time you see someone and all you, all you do is rehearse in your mind all those bad things that person has ever done and then when you see them, you have a negative thought, You know where that came from, right? Okay, but sometimes thoughts just come into our mind, but we get to decide which ones land on the runway and stay there. The ones that we get to keep meditating on, the ones that we get to keep thinking on. And we get ourselves into trouble when we we ponder negative things over and over and over, and then again, we want to harvest peace. I wanted to be, I wanted to go to school and study government and political science. I love politics. I love how our government works. I love American history. I love, love, love it. And I used to love the political process. Not so much of a fan anymore. In fact, I really can't watch it. Fox News, CNN, can't watch any of them. Because what it does to me is it stirs up something on the inside of me that's not good. It's not good. And it makes me start thinking a certain way. So I would be better served studying this book and praying over my leaders. I mean, I got to know who they are 
so I know how to pray over them. But if you're constantly looking at the flaws and faults that Fox News and CNN have on your political opponents, you will not harvest good thoughts. Just a thought. So if I've pondered that, and then tomorrow morning when I wake up and somebody does something, and I've, I've pondered all the day before, what a jerk. I can't believe they did that. That person is a jerk. I can't believe they did that. I can't, and, and then the next morning, that person doesn't start at ground zero. They start at negative 20. So when they say something or do something, I'm not actually viewing it through reality lens. I'm, throwing, I'm actually viewing it through my lens. Did you know we don't look at the world the way it is? We look at the world as we are. That's why two different people can look at the same thing and they respond differently because we, it's through the internal process. So why does God want to transform the internal process to make us like his son so that we all see things that way? And we just keep working at it until we all reach maturity and completeness. None of us have gotten there yet. And I'm convinced none of us ever will. Because I think that when you reach it, a whirlwind of fire comes and takes you home when you get there. And so as long as you're on earth, something needs to be perfected in your life. And God puts people in our lives to help that. And we grow through it. But we have to choose, what are we going to meditate on? Because again, every human being on this planet, you could find stuff to meditate on that's going to lead you down a dark path, or you can find stuff in their life to meditate on that's going to breathe hope into that situation. It's a cycle, really, that we all have to break out of. And the word finally, we're almost there. The word finally, I love that it's only 1114 now. Don't, don't, keep going. Okay, finally. Finally does not mean the last thing he's about to say. It's what he started with. And you have to go all the way back to verses 2 and 3 to find out what he started with. I plead with Yoda and I plead with Sinashi to be of the same mind in the Lord. I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they contend at my side for the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose name are in the book of life. So we don't know what's going on, but these two ladies are in disagreement. I know it's really hard. You've got to think about this. It's really hard for us to imagine two people that go to the same church that don't talk to each other. I know you're going to really have to stretch your imagination. To, unfortunately, we don't because we all probably have stories of people that attend the same church, but they just refuse to talk to each other. And it's all about who's right. Well, Paul says, neither of you are right. You've got to find a way to agree in the Lord. You've got to find a way to come together, make it your aim to live. And so when he says, finally, that's what he means. He's bringing this all to a conclusion. It's not, ladies, it's not about who was right and who's, who was wrong. It's what's really you're dwelling on. It's really your, your perspective that needs to be adjusted. It's the internal stuff and not the external stuff. Now, granted, there are going to be people in our lives that do mean things. I believe most people don't do them on purpose. Maybe that's naivety, I don't know. I just went to the Huron Tiger football game this last weekend and it was like 50-something to nothing. And we were playing pier and it was, and I, it was freezing. I'm freezing and I want to leave so badly. But there's this fear that people will be like, oh yeah, fine, you fair weather friend, leave when they're losing. But, uh, and so that was the fear in my head so I didn't want to leave. And, uh, but something on the inside of me said, you know what, they're better than this. I've seen them play a little bit. I bet they, you know. And so my daughter was there too. She texted me and she's like, why haven't you left yet? I said, optimism. 
And they scored three times in the time I was there. So I'm glad I didn't leave because they were exciting touchdowns. It was great. And uh, I love the fact that they didn't give up because at 50 something to nothing, <laughs> let me tell you, it's hard not to just say whatever and just get frustrated and start taking dumb penalties. Those of you who understand football get that. But he, they just kept playing. And there's this optimism. There's this hope. Those of us that have the spirit, it shouldn't be like rose-colored glasses, just, well, I'm just hoping. It should be a genuine hope that God is at work, that God is redeeming lives, that God can change things in a moment. And it's just what we're feeding our minds that's really going to make the difference. And so my prayer for all of us, because next week we're going to dive into a series on the book of Daniel, and we're going to talk about how to, how to live in a culture that's opposed to God and live this, this lifestyle, this self-sufficient lifestyle in Christ that we've already talked about for three weeks now. How do I live from a restored soul? How do I live that I respond to people constantly and consistently, no matter the circumstance, no matter what's happening? I don't need a certain person in political power. I don't need a certain circumstance in my life to change. I can just be like Daniel. I can be like his friends. I can be like Paul. I can respond the way God wants me to respond because he's put his spirit within me. That's what I believe. And here's what I want us to do today. I want us to end our service by singing together again because here's what I believe. I've given you a lot of information, but I don't believe information alone transforms us. A few, back in September, I preached a sermon to you about the difference between the scriptures and the word of God. The scriptures are these written things that God has given us, but there's something about the word of God as it's put in the New Testament where God breathes on it and it comes alive in our hearts. And so if you just come here and you're like, okay, I gotta, I gotta, okay, I gotta respond better, check. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put how you respond, I'm gonna put scripture verses everywhere. And that's not a bad thing to put scripture verses all over your house, but at some point, you just have to come into the throne of God and say, God, I need mercy. My responses are terrible. I mean, I'm, I'm all over the map on this thing. I mean, I'm, look at the way I'm, I'm talking about my coworkers. Look at the way I'm responding over here. And look, just look, I, God, I, I can't live this way. I need you to settle this in my heart that you are God, you are faithful, you're at work, and I'm totally good in you. I mean, I don't have to be mad at that person that said I'm this way because I'm not that way. I'm in you. But it doesn't come unless he's Lord. And so some of you, when we talked about him being Lord, you know that you're making choices right now. He's not Lord. And if you're sitting here today saying, oh, thank you, Lord, for all you're doing in my life, but you're not living with him as Lord, you need to just repent today. And so we're going to sing a song. It's a new song. You might not know it, but it's an old song too. Some of you are going to recognize the chorus, but it's just a declaration that God is in control. It's a declaration that God is good. It's a declaration that he's at work in our lives and he is always working for our good. And so as we sing it together, I want you to declare it over your life. I want you to declare it over your circumstances. I want you to sing it to him. And if there's something you need to repent of, if you better come in here to the front to kneel, come to the front to kneel. Our prayer team is gonna be here in the front too. If you want someone to pray with you, maybe it's better for you to voice out loud I have a bad attitude. Pray with me. No judgments. Because guess what? All week long, I bet every single day this week, I have displayed a bad attitude. At least once. Maybe more than once. 
I'm sure I've treated someone incorrectly. I'm sure I've treated someone the way they treated me and I didn't respond correctly. But here's the thing, I just keep coming back to the throne and saying, God, I need mercy. I need you to not treat me the way I deserve right now. And I need grace. Can we bring that down a little bit in the house? I need grace. I need to, I need to respond differently next time. So I need the power to do it. And so that's what we're gonna sing over our lives today. I want you to stand with me as we get ready to sing it. We're gonna sing it over our lives. We're gonna sing it over our circumstances. And Father, I pray over these next few moments. God, as we just declare your goodness, as we declare your sovereignty over our lives, God, I pray flood this room with your mercy. God, flood this room with your grace today. God, for those that are overwhelmed by poor choices, by mistakes of the past, that feel like they're being hunted down, not by your grace and mercy, but being hunted down by shame and fear and guilt and anxiety. Father, break those chains off of their lives today. God, help every single one of us today to come into your presence, to worship you in spirit and in truth, and to allow your spirit to take the words that we've heard right now and to apply them to our lives. Holy Spirit, have your way in us over this next few moments. Have your way in our hearts. Have your way in our lives, we pray. As we sing this, I want you to just to respond. You want to come to the front and sing. You want to come to the front and kneel. You want to kneel at your pew. You want to sing there. You want to come to the prayer team. But let's just declare these words. Declare them over your life. Declare them over your circumstance. That welcomes me. The kindness of mercy. That bought with blood wholeheartedly my soul undeserving. You're gonna know this part now. God sing it. You're so good. Oh God, you're so good. Yes he is. Yes he is. God, you're so Dead are
And should this life bring suffering, Lord, I will remember what Calvary has bought for me. Both now and so good. You have never once treated us as our sins deserve. God, you've never treated us as our sins deserve. God, you are good. We believe today that you are working for our good. God, that you are working for our good. God, we believe that you're at work in every situation, in every circumstance of our lives. God, we believe that there is nothing that can separate us from your love, from your power, and from your provision in our lives in every way. We trust you. 
Holy Spirit, we ask for grace today to be able to respond to you every day, every moment, every hour, to every person this week as if you are in total control of our lives. God, may these words today transform our hearts and minds. God, may they not just be words that we hear, but God, may they be words that we live out in every moment and in every situation. Holy Spirit, remind us that the Lord is near. Give us grace to make our gentleness evident to all. God, to rejoice in you. And so Holy Spirit, continue to have your way in this church in every way. I pray your blessing over this body today. God, I pray that you would bless them and keep them. I pray that you would cause your face to shine on them, that you would be gracious to them, that you'd lift up your countenance upon them, and that you'd give them peace. God of peace, be with us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you want prayer and have not been prayed for yet, our